Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Christian Kapoor, who's the Market Intelligent Manager at the World Gold Council. Um, he's here to discuss the gold demand trends quarterly report which is the World Gold Council's leading piece of intellectual property. Uh, The report analyzes the global gold market, examining global supply and demand, um, as well as wider industry trends within the investment, jewelry, technology, and mining sectors. Um, I think this would be an interesting talk um, in that, especially in what is obviously happening in the world today um, and the uncertainty in the financial industry uh, and also with the precious uh, metals starting a uh, bull market. So first of all, I'd like to welcome Christian. How are you doing, Christian? Hi, Rob. Great to be here today. How are you today? Yeah, yeah, I'm great, thanks. And uh, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to do this podcast. Um, so as we obviously start all these uh, podcasts, um, just wanted to give the audience a little bit about your background, probably from when you sort of graduated um, to, to present day, so people know a little bit about yourself, about your background and what you've been doing. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, I graduated in 2004 and I went straight into into the banking world, um, kind of working uh, for, for investment banks, asset managers, uh, predominantly in, in the data side and, and mostly looking at mainstream assets. So your equities, your fixed income. Um, and so that, that kind of kept me occupied for five to six years. And then I, I took the leap to to the World Gold Council, uh, looking more on a research kind of angle. Um, and again, narrowing my focus down to, to gold, which was completely new to me uh, at the time. Um, and I've been uh, at the World Gold Council ever since, so we're coming up to about 10 years now. Um, and in that time, you know, we, we've uh, had a chance to, to kind of really, really explore the gold market. Uh, obviously, the, the World Gold Council has been around for 30 years, but it's allowed me to really, really kind of get to, to know the metal and, and the market as a whole very, very well. Um, and so what we're looking to do is, is kind of really um, kind of educate primarily investors. Uh, that's, that's our main focus. Uh, uh, but, but anyone really who's got an interest in gold, um, and that could be either through research and insights or, or, or equally it could be through the provision of, of data where we can, we can give that to really help kind of illuminate the gold market because it's, it's one that's got a number of fascinating dynamics. And then I'm sure we'll go through some of those today. Yes, certainly. So, obviously, you just recently re- uh, produced a gold uh, demand trends report. Um, what have your uh, main findings been with the with the report? I wonder if you can uh, share that with the audience. Sure. Uh, so, our, our gold demand trends report um, is is our quarterly flagship publication. So that's that uh, we produce every three months, and we take a look at what happened in the gold market um, on a demand supply basis um, for the preceding three months. So we published our Q2 report, which didn't just look at Q2, um, but it actually looks at, at 
the whole of the first half of 2020. And, and it certainly was a, a very interesting time, um, not, not just in gold everywhere because of the pandemic, but, but that had a number of impacts uh, on, on how the, the gold, uh, gold demand and supply really, really kind of performed. So if we take a look at the demand side first, we really saw that um, there was a kind of a contrast between the kind of investment space, and especially on the institutional side, versus what we saw in more the consumer market. So that's, say, jewellery or, or kind of foreign coin investment. Um, so starting with the institutional side, uh, we really saw a huge amount of uh, attention and interest in gold, um, understandably so, with the uncertainty that was created with the pandemic. Uh, again, against an existing backdrop of weak economic growth and, and, and low interest rates. Uh, and so we saw a tremendous amount of, of that interest kind of crystallizing in gold ETFs. So these products make it incredibly easy to, to access uh, the gold market. And so investors were, were kind of really kind of piling into these products. So I think in the first half, we saw around 734 tons added in assets under management in these products. Um, and that really helped push the, the total AUM in these products globally to, to well over uh, 3,000 tons um, and, and kind of, uh, I think, around $60 billion dollars. Uh, um, so it's really, really a, a, a huge amount of, of interest in, in these products. But as I said, uh, we did see that contrast against weakness on the consumer side. So jewellery demand, for example, in the first half, that fell about 50% year on year. Um, and understandably so, the kind of the impact of the pandemic, people were confined to their homes. We saw that uh, jewellery stores had to close. So that mechanism by which people typically buy jewellery was just completely closed off. There just wasn't that uh, option available. And so that really had a very significant effect on, on reducing jewellery demand. On, the, on top of that, we've seen rising gold prices, as you mentioned. So, so far this year, gold is around 30% higher year on year. Um, and, and that's kind of acted as a bit of a headwind uh, or an obstacle for, for consumers. Kind of, if you think about it from the affordability angle, uh, just as the gold price goes up, the, the, the metal becomes more expensive. So too does products like gold jewellery, which kind of makes it more difficult for consumers who maybe have a, a fixed budget or, or just you know, have seen their incomes potentially threatened or, or reduced because, again, of the, the pandemic. Um, so those were the, the kind of the bigger dynamics on, on the central banking side, which is also something that we cover in the report. Um, we saw that central banks bought about 233 tons in the first half. So they're still very much net buyers this year, um, kind of a, continuing the trend we've seen over the last 10 years. Um, but we have seen that, that that level this year is is slightly lower than what we've seen in the previous two years, which were, were admittedly record years. Um, but, and we're also seeing that, that that demand is slightly more concentrated amongst a smaller number of banks this year. Um, but despite that, we, we still feel that uh, on a, uh, an annual basis that in 2020 central banks will remain will remain net purchasers. Um, and, and I wouldn't be wouldn't be uh, right if I didn't um, also talk about the supply side. So. We also look at that in the report to balance things out. It's obviously the other side of the coin. So in, in, on the supply side, we saw that, that mine production actually fell 5% year on year in the first half. Um, and again, you know, to, to, to talk about it again, it was predominantly the, the, the driven by the, the coronavirus pandemic, 
we saw a number of operations globally that, that were forced to, to suspend their operations. Um, for those that were able to uh, open, um, we saw that, that in, in places the work first, the workforce, work sorry, weren't as, as able to, to freely move as they had been before because of coronavirus restrictions. So that did hit uh, wine production ever so slightly. And then on recycling too, again, similarly to jewellery, a big mechanism by which that happens is people going to their jewellery stores and selling back their gold, uh, particularly in, say, India, for example. Um, and what we saw is, again, people stuck at home due to lockdown, keeping safe, uh, and, and jewellery stores equally being closed because of that, meant that, again, that mechanism, that channel by which people recycle gold just wasn't uh, available. So it meant that the supply that you would get from, from recycled gold was, again, slightly lower than, than what we would see normally. Yeah, um, just a couple of things I want to um, just ask uh, based on what you just said. Um, obviously, you mentioned ETFs. So first, I just wondered if you can explain what ETFs are. Um, and also, why would someone buy ETFs rather than a physical uh, product? Um, and also, secondly, you mentioned obviously about central banks. Um, is there any particular central banks that have been buying more gold um, just more recently than, than in past? Yeah, so uh, to deal with the, the, the ETFs, so uh, ETFs are an exchange-traded fund, um, the, the, especially the ones that we track, um, are physically gold, uh, physically backed funds. So they accumulate gold and, and um, issue shares on that gold, uh, or I should say they issue shares and each one of those shares is equivalent to a physical amount of gold. Um, an amount of physical gold and that fund will hold that gold. So it's a very easy way to access uh, or gain, gain exposure to physical gold um, because those shares that are issued by the ETF can be traded on an exchange like you would uh, a share of a company, for example. So actually moving in and out of those kinds of products is actually very, very straightforward. Um, and it typically means that the entry point is quite low in, in terms of the cost associated with those management fees or, or the, the price at which you pay because oftentimes each share is worth a fractional amount of, a, of an ounce, for example, like one-tenth. Um, so what we've seen really is that um, this has uh, become a, a, a real... Um, major product for for institutional and and retail investors um and so because of that ease um of, expo uh, uh, of being able to gain exposure and what's more also the liquidity so these products tend to be highly liquid which means that kind of moving in and out of of the shares is actually very easily done uh, again that's a, a huge a huge draw to many investors especially in times where you know you see the markets be incredibly volatile you want to know that obviously that any assets you have, you can you can easily liquidate if you if you need to, and so gold gold uh, ETFs are, are very very good for that um, in terms of gaining that exposure to gold and and having that liquidity available to you, um, and so we've seen actually the, 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 a lot of the investment demand actually crystallise through those uh, products, um, and and that's really what's been the biggest story this year. Um, if we talk about um, the, uh, and sorry, you mentioned also about comparing it to physical gold. Yeah. So, what what um, what what we one of the bigger things would be is that physical gold would would entail potentially taking um, taking delivery of that gold, looking for storage, and that comes with associated costs, uh, insurance, for example. Whereas many ETFs, the gold is held by the fund, so um, it's not something that the investor needs to, needs to worry about. So again, for those that necessarily um, 
kind of want that exposure and it to be backed by physical gold. Uh, oftentimes they might look to an ETF uh, versus a physical product such as a bar or coin, which again come with, with other costs. Um, to your second question on central banks, um, Yes, we've, we've seen a, a good amount of buying this year. Again, like I said, slightly lower than last year, but, but we should note that 2019 and 2018 were, were relatively, were, were record levels, in fact, uh, highest that we've seen in decades since about 1971. So we saw a tremendous amount of, of buying last year. So it was always going to be likely that we would see slightly less buying this year because maintaining that level was, was kind of probably somewhat unrealistic. Um, and some of the central banks that we've seen uh, more recently are those really that we've seen buying in previous years. Um, so um, Russia has been a big buyer since 2014, um, and we saw them continue to buy up until the end of Q1, at which point they suspended their, their gold buying program. Um, so they were quite a significant purchaser that, that actually has now uh, stepped uh, to the sidelines of the market. But we're continu continuing to see uh, buying, regular buying from the likes of Turkey. They're the biggest buyers so far in, uh, this year. I think they're approaching about 200 tons that they've added to their gold reserves. Uh, the likes of Kazakhstan. We've seen regular buying from India. Um, so we've seen a, a kind of consistent amount of buying um, or regular amount of buying from a number of central banks um, throughout this year and, and kind of that and they're the same central banks that we've seen more recently um, but what I should also emphasize is that the buying that we have seen has been almost exclusively uh, from emerging market central banks um, and that's that's understandable um, there are a number of reasons for that say for diversification and, and emerging market banks typically not always but typically tend to hold less gold than their western more developed counterparts um so they you could see maybe have a, a kind of a bit bit more of a room to grow in terms of bringing up their allocation to gold for those diversification purposes yeah um you mentioned obviously russia suspended their um intake of gold or purchasing gold is there do you know if that what the reason is behind that um, and also compared to all, uh, all the countries out there that have been purchasing gold over, over a number of years, what are the bigger players in the industry or bigger uh, countries that have the bigger reserves, um, physical reserves? Yeah, so I think it's a good question on Russia. Uh, central banks tend to be um, kind of uh, um, very kind of... Uh, confidential or kind of very guarded about their their gold reserves um but but russia did come out and, and obviously you know given that it's one of the biggest purchases in the years um you know it was always going to make big news um and i think what we can say about their reserves um was that they've been growing it since since uh, about 2005 um and they've bought a tremendous amount of gold i think they'd, they'd bought close to, to 2000 tons in that time um, and so their, their allocation to gold within their overall total, uh, total reserves portfolio had steadily crept up. So I think they were looking at, uh, it must be in the region of 15 to 20% of their total reserves are now held in gold. Um, and so I think part of that was, was, was maybe a factor that there just wasn't the need to. There was also um, a, a decision made by the central bank to, to stop buying um, domestic uh, gold production um, to help encourage producers to export uh, more gold going forward. So I think there were a number of factors that, that were reported. Um, but I think importantly, while Russia have kind of suspended their buying, they did also indicate that, that further decisions on gold purchases will depend on how 
the, the situation or, or the kind of environment develops. So while I think they have kind of paused their purchasing, there's no, there's no guarantee that they might not come back in the future. Um, yeah. I'm sorry, could you remind me of your second yeah, question? Yeah, um, what countries have, have the biggest reserves? So, oh, sure, um, sure. I suppose if you know the, the, the rough figures and the, the top three countries that have the, the biggest reserves. So yeah, no, I know these stats phenomenally well. Um, yeah. So we, we, we publish these uh, every month, the, the top central bank buyers um, and, and the kind of who's buying, who's selling, because the IMF actually report these numbers. So, so we, we look to publish them as well. Um, so the biggest buyers are actually um, some of the names that, that, that some might guess. So the US is the largest purchaser with slightly over uh, 8,100 tonnes. Um, I think uh, Russia, um, not sorry, Russia, uh, Germany is, is the second, second largest buyer um, and they, they have about three, three, three and a half thousand tons of gold. Um, and there are a number of other central banks that are up there. I mean, in, in terms of the top four or five, you'll have, um, you'll have uh, certainly not the UK, but I mean, you'll have uh, a central bank such as, such as Turkey, such as Russia, China will be up there too. Um, Italy, France, they're all big holders of gold. And, and a lot of the names that we see at the top of the list actually um, will have uh, accumulated their gold as a, relic, uh, as a kind of byproduct of the, the gold standard and Bretton Woods. Mm. So those central banks, predominantly, <coughs> excuse me, the Western central banks, will have accumulated a lot of gold over that time and the majority have actually held on to a substantial amount. So, so a lot of the Western and, and you know, European central banks with the US uh, are, are typically the largest holders of gold that you'll see in the, the central banking space yeah um obviously as we're recording this um we're in a pandemic um yes. how has the uh, gold supply chain been impacted by obviously recent events and we're probably again in terms of recording this probably six months into uh, the pandemic um so how has the whole supply chain um, been affected over the last sort of six months and I suppose what do you see moving forward because I take it the pandemic's going to continue um, what problems could you see moving forward so I think like most markets there was an there, there has been an element of disruption caused by the pandemic I mean as you say we're all working from home kind of all aspects of life have been impacted um, and we certainly saw that in in the gold market um, and, and and on the supply chain so I mean there are three three kind of distinct kind of areas I would touch upon so first is on the actual supply of gold so I've already mentioned that we saw a slight decline so in H1 we saw a five percent decline year on year on the amount of gold production there was now um, again, you know, localized lockdowns, uh, kind of restrictions on movement, we, that impacted some operations and, and they were kind of temporarily suspended. Um, but what I would emphasize is actually the 5% decline in production that we saw in H1 versus H1 2019, I, I would argue is actually relatively resi resilient compared to the disruption widespread that the coronavirus pandemic has caused. And the reason why I would argue that it's resilient, it really comes down to the diversity, the geographic diversity of mine production in gold. So gold is produced on, on all continents bar Antarctica. Um, and so that diversity really lends itself to kind of creating a more stable source of supply for gold. So where you see an impact in, say, a region in Canada or maybe in certain countries in South America because of the lockdowns, other areas of the, the, the world weren't as impacted, um, which meant that, that the supply could continue, continue relatively unaffected. So that kind of 
the kind of um, the diversity helps to balance out any slight dents in production that we've seen and, and kind of let, means that it's unlikely that you often see any sort of supply shock in the gold market. Um, I would also then talk about the, the flow of gold. So the actual flow from the mine site through the supply chain. So um, as all of your listeners, I'm sure will be sure, uh, will be aware of is obviously there has been a, a significant reduction in, in the, the, the kind of the, the travel schedules, the amount of flights, commercial flights available um, and, and, and kind of restrictions on, on road, road transport and freight. So that all impacts the, tra- the, the flow of gold. Uh, for, for those who, who may not know, it's quite common for, for gold to be transported on commercial airlines. Um, obviously, it, it's a highly secure operation, but, but the reduction in those commercial flights will obviously then impact the amount of available cargo and freight space that there is available for refiners, for gold producers to, to kind of transport that gold. And what it also means is that where there is capacity available or cargo available, the cost for that space will become higher. It will just be more competitive. Um, and oftentimes we saw, uh, you know, during the first few months, at least of the coronavirus pandemic is a priority was understandably given to, to kind of PPE, for example, the kind of the really kind of uh, kind of equipment that was necessarily to to combat and, and protect people from the pandemic itself. So there was uh, an impact in terms of the flow of gold through the, the supply chain. Um, and again, that's to be expected. And we did see one of the, the, the kind of the, the kind of consequences of that was the dislocation that's been widely reported between um, London and New York in terms of prices. So we saw uh, that kind of the, 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 the difference in price, which, which there is always a slight difference really kind of get a, a lot wider uh, and some of that or majority of that was down to the the kind of the, the kind of the difficulties or challenges faced with with trying to get gold to where it was needed um, and that also led to um, it led to some investment demand um, uh, disruption so uh, as I said the, the third the part I would talk about was actually well what, what about actually getting it to consumers uh, so we've talked about where it's where problems where it's come from how it's moving through the chain, but what about actually consumers? So the, the kind of the difficulties in sourcing supply or, or, or getting supply to, to the markets where it was demanded meant that we did see some kind of uh, logistical issues in terms of uh, pent up demand that, that the kind of stocks were running low and, and that sometimes um, people faced long waits uh, for, for, you know, bars or coins that they may, they may want to purchase um, potentially, you know, for the reason that the, the pandemic is, is causing so much uncertainty. So absolutely, the, um, the, the, the kind of the pandemic has caused a number of disruptions uh, throughout the supply chain. But what I would really emphasize is, is, is kind of that resilience point, not just at the mine level, but actually through the supply chain. So yes, there was disruption, but actually, you know, the gold market has actually been operating fairly efficiently. Um, you know, we have seen dislocations, but the gold market has managed to operate and function fairly well. Um, and we haven't seen any significant shocks, any significant volatility in the price that's maybe, you know, as a byproduct of, of kind of a real upheaval in, in the regular mechanisms that the gold market uses. So I think in terms of, of, of how the pandemic has uh, impacted the gold market and supply chain, it certainly has. But I think the gold market has fared far, far better than many other industries, which have seen far more upheaval and volatility as a result of that. Yeah, which is good to hear. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Um, 
How was the retail gold sector affected over the months um, of lockdown? Um, and has it seen a resurgence as measures have been lifted um, over more recent months? So if we if we talk about the the, the, the kind of the retail or consumer side, um, we're talking about two different uh, segments. So we're talking about the jewellery demand and then we're talking about small bars and coins. And by small bars, we're talking about one kilogram or less. Um, so if we start with jewellery, um, yeah, as I mentioned, we saw a, a significant amount of, of kind of um, uh, demand destruction, let's call it. So we saw that demand in H1 was about 50% lower than H1 in, in, in 2019. Um, and really that affected markets across the board. Um, you know, I, I don't think we saw any market that, that saw demand increase, um, a jewellery demand increase um, compared to the previous period in 2019. And again, you know, the, the reasons for that are, are kind of what you would expect. Um, I think that the, the uncertainty of the pandemic and the, the restrictions as a result of that, so people being stuck at home, meant that they just couldn't go out and, and, and purchase gold like they regularly would, um, especially in markets where going to a jeweler and purchase, purchasing your, your um, jewellery you know, through that mechanism in person, that was completely closed off. Um, you know, we did see, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, the, a slight shift towards online, but again, that was very, very small in comparison. Um, and on the retail side, the retail investment bars and coins side, uh, again, we saw um, we saw an impact. So, but we saw a slight difference there. We saw actually a slight difference in in the way that the eastern markets um, approach things compared to western. So, on the eastern markets, uh, we saw actually a continuation that we saw in jewelry of that demand destruction, where kind of people were were not uh, buying bars and coins. Uh, you know, they were because of the pandemic and, and the economic. Uh, consequences of that whereas on on the western uh, markets we actually saw that, that that many of the motivational factors that were pushing etf demand and and that kind of that groundswell of, of investor interest was actually replicated on the retail side too so we saw a, a kind of a higher demand for, for coins for smaller bars as well um, and so there was a slight difference there but but it, it, it's absolutely i mean overall the consumer side has been pretty badly hit by by the, the the pandemic that we've seen this year um but but again that that's that's not not as surprising um given given the kind of the, the scale of disruption in terms of going forward and what we've seen since say the end of the first half um i think we have seen um as the restrictions have been lifted we have seen some uh, return of demand but it's in it's very early stages we're still, uh, you know, still seeing things taking their time. Um, and, and let's face it, the, the, the pandemic is still with us, as you say. Um, you know, there are still restrictions uh, in places in, in many markets across the world. Um, and, and people are uncertain. But, you know, economic, economic fundamentals such as income have been hit. Um, and we know that income is a huge driver of some of the consumer side uh, demand, especially jewellery. So... I think as we wait to see how the pandemic plays out, and obviously we're still waiting to see what the full impact of the pandemic will be, um, I think it's going to take some time for that demand to come back. But we're hopeful that we'll see some, some green shoots uh, maybe this year, but I think it will take, it'll take a little while for, for the consumer, um, consumer side of the gold market to, to really recover to the levels maybe that we saw uh, pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, obviously, we've spoken about ETFs. Um, What's fueled the record with inflows um, into sort of gold, uh, gold ETFs 
um, since the start of the year. So we believe there are, there are three key factors. So the first one is the growing need to hedge. So there's been mounting expectations uh, that the global economic recovery will likely be a slower U or maybe more volatile W-shaped rather than what had initially been hoped for, which was a, a swifter V-shaped recovery. Um, and this is, and that, that mounting expectations that things will, will be slower to recover has really uh, supported demand for gold as a risk diversifying asset. Um, and also while we've seen stock markets uh, across the globe, uh, they've recovered from, from where they fell to in March. Um, actually, uh, many would argue that valuations are starting to get a little frothy um, and, and actually, you know, that, that, that the level of the stock markets are actually starting to diverge somewhat from the, the underlying economic fundamentals, even with the sporadic uh, positive economic news we've, we've seen here or there. Um, and so I think that's, that's really thrown a, a spotlight on, on gold's, um, gold's role as a diversifier as things tend to become, say, more risky or more uncertain. Um, the second, the second uh, key, key factor, I would say, would be the uh, continued ultra-low interest rate environment. So um, we've seen concerted um, expansionary monetary policy from central banks and from governments across the world. Um, and they have really pushed things to, to well, interest rates at least to, to historically low levels. And we've seen the, the kind of ballooning government deficits to kind of really kind of uh, support uh, economies around the world. And that kind of, those kind of real kind of expansionary policies to, that at honestly unprecedented levels um, has really supported the goal, uh, the, the, the supported the case for gold as an inflation hedge, as there are concerns that obviously those uh, the consequences of those actions may be uh, inflation. We see higher levels of inflation at some point. Um, and the third point I would say would be the, the, the positive price momentum we've seen in gold. So as the price has rallied uh, in gold, and, and as we mentioned earlier, it, it's up 30% around there uh, so far year to date. Um, I think what that has done in itself is, is that has attracted further interest into gold and, and, and investment flows um, as the price has continued to, to kind of gather, gather steam and momentum. So that, that's a kind, of a, a kind of a more tactical driver, but actually, you know, has, has been kind of critical too for, for explaining why we've seen the level of interest in, in gold as an investment. Yeah, um, obviously we're talking about price. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for any predictions, um, but obviously we've seen the price of gold exceed 1800 US dollars for the first time since 2012 um, and has gone then to exceed 2000 US dollars, um, although it's come off a little bit now. I think it's around about 1950 as we speak. Um, what are the key drivers behind um, that price rise? Uh, so, so you're, you're absolutely right. So we, we have seen a, 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 you know, a very significant move in gold this year, as you say, hitting new record levels, not just in dollars, but in a number of currencies around the world. Um, and what I would say is, yes, it has come down from, from those record levels slightly, but we, we've kind of it's established itself in a range that was much higher than, than we had seen at the start of the year. Um, and, and again, the, the factors that, that I mentioned for driving ETF uh, or investment demand that, uh, so far this year 
I would echo again that, that they're some of the key drivers that we've seen for driving the gold price too. Uh, I think the idea that that you know there is a huge amount of uncertainty because of the pandemic, but but even before the pandemic, there was question marks over the outlook for economic growth. Interest rates were already significantly lower than than they had been historically. Um, the pandemic has really just amped up pressure. On, on the financial system and economies around the world. And, and that's really kind of caught, caught investors' uh, attention and that, that they really want to, to guard against, against any kind of adverse effects to, to, to their capital or wealth. So there's that growing need to hedge. The, the ultra-low interest rates I already mentioned, again, reduces opportunity cost of holding gold. In, uh, so, so many people are, are, are kind of, it becomes more attractive to many people. Um, but also the kind of the, the, the risk of, of potential uh, inflation uh, going forward again, something that that kind of I think we're, we're seeing now in gold is that actually uh, people kind of want to to get that exposure now, that allocation now to guard against what might come in terms of inflation. Um, and 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 yeah, so we've seen a number of a number of issues that have kind of have propelled the gold. What it, what I would say is that in terms of forecasting, yes, absolutely. We unfortunately the World Gold Council we, we're not allowed to produce forecasts. But if we look at if we look at investment demand, I would say that the many of the factors that we've seen uh, propelling, say, the inflows into ETFs or kind of that investor interest uh, uh, into gold, is actually you know they're, they're likely to, to kind of uh, to kind of be. Uh, in place for for some time, I believe it, it's looking like where we're, we're going to see a, a kind of a continuation of the pandemic for for at least a few more months, and that uncertainty and, and kind of you know the the the, the, the kind of the, the expansionary monetary policy that we've seen is going to stay in place. Um, we we saw from the Fed last week that. Um, they were looking to to keep interest rates incredibly low until I think around 2023. So. It's likely that the environment for, for uh, uh, investment demand is going to remain fairly well supportive for, for, for some time to come. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, what, how do you see the outlook for gold over the next, say, 12 to 18 months? Um, if you look at maybe whether it's individuals, whether it's central banks, um, how do you see it all playing out? Um, obviously, you mentioned that it's probably going to continue um, being strong activity um, in the gold market is there anything else you can add so i think uh if we, we come back to some of the topics we've discussed i think on the consumer side it'll be interesting to see how things progress obviously if if we see kind of new restrictions globally or in key markets that that will have an impact on on where we go if we don't potentially we'll we'll have to see you know how quickly demand comes back um and again you know, there are, there are a number of factors that, that kind of we need to kind of wait and see to see how they play out before we can we can get a real firm gauge on, on how things uh, how things might progress. Um, on the investment side, as I just mentioned, I think the environment remains well supportive for, for, for investment in demanding gold. Um, so it's likely that that will, that will remain the case. Bond yields remain incredibly low. Uh, interest rates will remain low. Uh, they, that uncertainty associated with the pandemic and, and kind of its impact on the economy is unlikely to go anywhere or really be truly known for some time. So as investors kind of look to, to guard against that, I think that's another a key reason why they might look towards gold. Um, and, 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 you know, in terms of central banks, I think, as I, as I mentioned, while their purchasing this year has been slightly lower than the previous two record years, um, 
we still believe that they will remain purchases on a net basis for 2020 as a whole. Um, and, and, and I would argue for the foreseeable future, it's likely that, that they will probably remain purchases rather than sellers. Um, so overall, I think the environment on the investment side looks incredibly supportive. On the consumer side, we might have to see how things play out a little more. Yeah, um, I've got another question. Um, obviously, if there's an increase in demand, is there enough gold reserves out there to um, obviously supply this demand um, if it's going to increase? And how long, how long do, you, do you know the figures of how long um, if the demand keeps increasing? Will, is there enough production out there? I know obviously I, I work in the mining sector and obviously work in the recruitment um, side of it. I know a lot of obviously companies are looking to increase production, but obviously that takes time. Will, will, demand, will um, demand keep up with supply? So um, in terms of supply, uh, the, the, the gold market is, is quite interesting in this that it has two main sources of supply. So there is mine production. So as you rightly say, the stuff that comes out of the ground. But then we also have a very, very healthy recycling market. So for, for any of your audience that might not know, gold is virtually indestructible, which means that all the gold that has mined throughout history is, ver is, is, is with us in some form. Um, uh, apart from obviously the gold that has been been lost, but um, so th that creates a healthy amount of uh, what we term above ground gold. So that gold is still available to the market in some form. Now, not all of it will necessarily be what we term near market, which means it will come straight back onto the market. But where we see demand um, outstrip supply in say any one year. What we term the self-balancing nature of the gold market is that actually other areas of the gold market will compensate. So typically, if demand is particularly high, when we see the gold price going up, while uh, mine production might be slow to react, we actually see recycling tend to be uh, much more reactive and much quicker to, to react to those changes, which means that, that supply is bolstered. Um, as a whole by that recycling material coming back onto the market to help address some of that demand. So that's a unique dynamic that we see in, in, in the gold market. Um, so I, I think that there's that angle, but I think if we just concentrate, as you, you, you mentioned on, on mine supply, um, there are, uh, there are a number of, of factors that go into estimating how much gold is below ground still. Um, so, I think the estimates by the, the US Geological Society at the moment, there is about 50,000 tonnes of gold. However, that uh, is not necessarily a fixed number. So that can change. Um, oftentimes, uh, re estimating reserves is, is um, based on a number of factors that are economic as much as they are uh, geological. So um, the kind of the gold price um, will dictate how economic it is to mine certain areas of uh, a project, for example. Some, some uh, mine or ore that is deeper may require a higher gold price for it to be feasible or economic for it to, to be mined. Um, so that's one factor. Um, another factor might be um, the cost of inputs. So, you know, the, the oil, electricity, et cetera, um, how much that is at the moment will also dictate how much it uh, is able to be mined um, or, or, for example, the technology that's available. So the amount of gold that's available as reserves globally is, is a, a moving number. It, it's not necessarily one that you a single number that you'd point to that slowly ticks down 
every year. Um, and obviously that also, um, that also neglects to include new discoveries. Now, new discoveries, obviously, um, uh, or, or less so necessarily if you're not, not familiar with the gold market. Uh, so gold, gold discoveries have become rarer. Um, we've seen less, less uh, significant gold discoveries in, in the last decade or so. Um, but, you know, if we did see more discoveries, then obviously that would change the amount of, of gold, um, gold that, that's in reserves in the ground. And, and we're continuing also to see exploration. We're to continuing to see new mines come on stream or be developed so so there is an amount of gold in the ground but but that's a moving target and and as i said the the supplementing the mine production in any one year with that healthy recycle supply that you get in gold um means that generally there are often few concerns about you know supply not being able to fully meet demand yeah okay krishnan um really appreciate your time uh give us an update on the obviously uh the gold uh gold demand trends report if our audience wants to reach out to you um, and find out some more information about uh, the world gold council or in particular this report how can they go about doing that and are you on obviously on any uh, social media as well uh, yeah so I, i'm on linkedin if anyone wants to look me up uh, feel free uh, happy to, to connect um, but if they want to learn more about the, the gold demand trends report or any of the issues or topics I've been talking about today, I would definitely encourage you to visit our website, that's goldhub.com, um, and that contains uh, all of our research and insights, um, and uh, it also has a number of data sets which users can download and, and, and play with, um, and that's free to register. Uh, you just create an account very quickly, and then you're, you're you're free to use the site completely. Um, if you wanted to, to, to mail the World Gold Council, then I would suggest um, using info at gold.org. Um, and if you want to contact me specifically, if you just uh, reference me in the email, I'm sure it's, it'll find its way to me pretty quickly. So um, yeah, in terms of, in terms of uh, following up on this, I would highly encourage uh, anyone listening to go to goldhub.org. Yeah, certainly. And we put all this in the show notes accompanying this uh, podcast episode. So um, have a look and uh, yeah, appreciate if people can sign up and uh, learn more about gold and especially the, the, the reports that you bring out um, on a quarterly basis. So um, definitely, really appreciate your time. Um, and yeah, if our audience wants to uh, um, f feel free to obviously share this podcast. If you feel other people in, within the mining sector um, especially if they're involved in the gold market. Um, appreciate if you're going to share this episode with them um, because I'm sure they would uh, certainly learn some uh, things about gold. Um, I certainly have so in this episode. So um, to all our audience, really appreciate you um, listening to this uh, episode. Um, and yeah, please pass this on to uh, other colleagues within the industry. And until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!